This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And pitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Okay, uh, Eric Shaw Quinn, it's a very exciting day today. Do you know why? Do you know why it's exciting? Well, I'm not that excited. What's going on? Okay, well, no, I've been mentioning it like over and over again. I had to go back and look through some of our contracts, and um, apparently there's something we need to be doing on We're the podcast. We're to start the show. No, Can this wait? No, it's going to need to be part of the show, which is what I found in our contracts. And look, it's going to be fine, but you're going to have to- contracts? I haven't signed any contracts. You're going to have to do a segment with Jordan Ampersand. I'll be back when you're done. Okay, I love you. Bye. Eric Shaw Quinn, are you excited I'm back? Uh, no. You look older. You look, uh, dumber. Don't make fun of my propeller hat. It's helping my facial dry. It isn't moving. I pushed it once. I thought it was supposed to keep going. See? Dumber. Could you get me, like, a small motor or something and attach it to my hat real quick? No. So, what are you calling this horrible new segment we're being forced to do? Jordan's Moments. Jordan's Bell Movements. Got it. Gross. It's not going to be about poo. It's going to be about my deep thoughts. Which, in fact, are poo. Whatever. It's time for me to talk about Daddy's Day. Father's Day. Or Daddy's Day, depending on your religion of choice. Under any circumstances, start talking about religion. Do you keep interrupting me because you're disoriented and waiting for bingo to start? No, it's because the knives are too far away. Oh, there's one over here, here. See, you really are stupid. I have Daddy's Day thoughts and it's time to let me talk. Fine, go ahead. Let's get this over with. The secret to a successful daddy-boy relationship comes down to several essential ingredients. Mm-hmm. A good daddy makes every effort to provide his boy with an exceptional automobile. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry you're saying a man is a bad father if he doesn't buy his son an expensive car? Oh, no. I'm saying he's a bad daddy if he doesn't already own an expensive car, which he has ready and available for his boy upon the commencement of their relationship. So, you're saying a man should not have a son unless he already owns an expensive car? Correct. If he doesn't have at least a Maserati in the garage, he has no business trying to have a boy. A girl, then? Girls are on their own when it comes to this issue. I have too much to deal with in this area. So, you're saying a father's worth is all about expensive presents, not... Showing up for his son emotionally or supporting his dreams or giving him guidance through the rougher parts of life? Gross. I don't want to do any of that with someone I'm sleeping with. Sleeping with? Oh, my God. Jordan, the topic is Father's Day, not Sugar Daddy's Day. Father's Day? Who cares about them? The only daddies I care about are the ones who buy me something cute to wear to dinner with their old boring friends and then slip me an Adderall so I don't fall asleep while they talk about boring things like the death of democracy. 
Do you have any experience of your actual biological father you'd like to share with us today? What kind of a creep are you? I don't have sex with my dad. I didn't say you slept with your dad. I was trying to get you to talk about the actual topic you moron. Look, I don't know anything about my real dad, okay? Oh. I'm sorry, Jordan. I... I didn't realize you and your father didn't have a relationship. Well, it's just every time I asked my mom what the deal was with him, she would say something to deflect. Like, don't you remember shooting a bottle rocket at his knee on the 4th of July and how he wouldn't wake up for a while? Or he's the guy you falsely accused of child abuse and had sent to jail for two years. She just didn't know how to deal with the real issues. I see. Well, Mother's Day is going to be a separate topic, and I'm sure it'll go as badly as this one. Jordan, are those all the movements you've had for us for today? Because it really sinks in here now. I believe I put in a request for a small motor that could be attached to the propeller on my hat. So that Get I could out. Bingo! Christopher, get in here! I, I, I can't believe it! I, how could you possibly? I just, I, Christopher, I swear to God! I'm, I have to deal with this! Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. So that wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. You guys got through it, right? It was fine. I mean, it happened. Right. Okay. Well, it kind of um it needs to keep happening on a semi-regular basis. Are you kidding no, me? No, it's not kidding. I found an old contract we have with the Jordan Amber Sand, which says that if we don't have him on the show regularly, we owe him a lump sum payment of $100,000, which we don't have. So um, we're going to need him just to come. Like once a month, maybe he'll come on and you guys can just talk and have fun. It was fun, right? Fun. Are you leaving? Are you going to leave? Are you getting up out of your chair? <laughs> Welcome to TDPS, Jordan. Uh, you'll make it work. You're a professional. You're a professional. <laughs> Certifiable. And certifiably professional. You'll make it work. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It won't be every I'm week. I'm not going to say that, but mm-hmm. it could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Things happen all the time. Absolutely. We've had alarms go off during the show. And mm-hmm. yeah. Phones ring. and Totally continued to do the show, so I don't think it will stop the we show. We had a from... pandemic and we continued to do the show. Right? Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, Jordan survived the pandemic, so he's still with us. So, Well, the, how is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how Jordan gets through a day, to be honest. Yeah, he's probably got so much stuff going on in there that it kills other viruses. <laughs> Ah, Jordan. Jordan Everson, ladies and gentlemen. He'll be back, but not too soon, but soon. Yeah, but... It's fine. It's yeah, fine. no rush. It's fine. You're a professional. No rush. A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving... Situation is very fluid. A lot of moving parts. Anyway... Don't use my own material on me, It's Father's Day. This is our Father's Day episode. It is. Happy it Father's is. Day. Happy Father's Day. Not Daddy's Day. There is no such thing as Daddy's Day. I guess if you're a daddy, every day is Daddy's Day, but uh, that's not what we're here to celebrate today. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Only in Jordan land is that a thing. So to celebrate Father's Day, we watched a movie, Eric and I did. Um, We were inspired last year. We wanted to watch 
we wanted images of day, gay dads. And if you know of movies about gay dads, tell us because mm-hmm. we will add it to next year's um, list of possible choices for this day. Last year, we watched a movie called Ideal Home mm-hmm. with Paul Rudd and Steve Coogan, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I really loved that that movie. I can't remember the kid's name. He was on that wonderful show about Are the Kids All Right, which I quite mm-hmm. loved. Mm-hmm. And getting uh, our own episode. Yeah, but he was the, yeah. But he was the, um, the he played the the kid in that mm-hmm. coming to live with his grandfather and his grandfather's boyfriend. It's a really wonderful movie. If you haven't seen it, ideal home, totally recommend it. And uh, this year, you know, that was it. That was the one movie about a gay person raising a child that we could immediate readily locate. But what happened since then was that a movie was released about the father of a gay child who goes based on, on a his, true story. Based on a true story, who goes on his own journey, shall we say. We don't want to spoil too much of it up front. The movie is called Joe Bell, and it stars Mark Wahlberg. And, and it was written by the people who wrote Brokeback Mountain. Diana Osana and uh, Larry McMurtry, who both won Oscars for the screenplay for Brokeback Mountain, so wrote it seemed the screenplay. Like, you know, that was a direction that we could go in. It is a true story, and it's kind of heavy. So. Oh, it's heavy. It's heavy, it's heavy, it's heavy. Um, And we're going to spoil the whole thing. So we're going to talk about it in it, detail. If you want to watch it, this is your chance. We'll still be here. You can pause this and come back. Or if you haven't seen it yet and you wanted to, then you really should pause this and come back and go yeah. listen to some of our other shows or whatever. But, yeah, we're going to talk about that movie and our experience of it not like we do true crime tv club it's not going to be like we're going to go chapter and verse through the movie we're just going to talk about the movie in general and i think father's day to some extent because Mm -hmm. i think that's i don't know i i think that's a its own thing yeah we all have our own relationship to father's day and mother's day and a relationship to our parents and i think that's something that you know merits discussing so this movie. So this movie. <sighs> I I will say this about this movie is I found the structure. Um, I had the same experience with this movie that I had with the most recent version of Little Women. Oh, okay. And it was because of the choice of the writer mm-hmm. that... They truncated everything and foreshortened everything so it never allowed you to have an emotional arc mm-hmm. all the way through. Everything was interrupted. So my emotional response to this movie, as my emotional response to that last, I think, not very good version of um, of uh, Little Women that I can't even remember her name. And I actually quite Greta like Gerwig. the yeah, yeah, and I love Greta Gerwig and I love yeah. her work. I just – I thought it was a mistake – the way that she put the structure of that story. It mm-hmm. was the same story. Um, didn't change it. It was just interrupted. Yeah. And like Coitus Interruptus, you know, you can't get there if you mm-hmm. keep interrupting. Um, and that was the way this was told. The truth of this story is a man's son was gay mm-hmm. and horrifically bullied in the school that he went to in LaGrange, Oregon. LaGrange? Or La, LaGrand, La Oregon. Excuse LaGrand, me. LaGrange is actually in Georgia. For, yeah. yeah. LaGrand, um, Oregon. Oregon. And 
the young man at a pretty early age reached a breaking point and killed himself. Mm -hmm. And the father, for a variety of reasons, had a really difficult time dealing with his son making that choice. And in an effort to kind of regain his own footing and to deal with um, his son's death, and I think to try and find some meaning or give some meaning to losing his son, he made the decision to walk across America, Mm -hmm. um, speaking speaking out against bullying and trying to um, raise awareness of what a crisis it is in our culture and how destructive and corrosive it can be. So that's the story, mm-hmm. but that's not how they tell it. It's not how they tell it. They set up a twist, and the twist is spoiled in the trailer for the movie. I mean, it was one of those weird things of like, so the movie begins, and you meet this guy walking along the side of the road on the mission that you described, and his son appears to be with him going He's on this journey. Very gay. Very, very gay. Very rambunctious, very smart-alecky, very funny, yes. very um, entertaining, but also confrontational. Yeah. Gay son. And he are having this conversation about um, their relationship and about mm-hmm. bullying and about who he was and mm-hmm. identity and gender and sexuality and all of those things. Um as they walk down the road together. And the thing that is set up at the beginning of the movie, which I felt was never ultimately realized, is that the father is not actually doing a good job of these speaking engagements. He's gruff. He's not really sharing his personal story when he's getting up in front of these audiences. He's speaking in high schools. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a story about a man coming to learn how to be vulnerable with what really happened to him. But before we ever even get to the point where that could be a possibility, the big reveal happens. He goes into a gay bar, and what we've noticed is that the son has never changed clothes, right? The son is now his outfit. Isn't that the case? I think his outfit has stayed the same over a period of days. And it's very possible that uh, Marky Mark's outfit has never changed either. I know I should call him Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) Mark Wahlberg. Always going to be Marky Mark at some level. He will always be a Calvin Klein ad in my mind. And I have actual respect for Mark Wahlberg and think he's Mm. actually turned out to be a remarkably good actor, kind of to my surprise. Yeah. So then it reaches a moment where on this road tour, he's going to do an event at a gay bar and the conceit is that the son can't come because it's a bar and blah, blah, blah. And when he goes by himself, people begin asking him questions about his son and he reveals that his son killed himself. So if you're coming to this movie cold you're going to be walloped over the head by that, you know. Um, However, the trailer that I watched made that twist clear. And it's a true story. (laughs) And and it's a true story. It's just, yeah, it was really, yeah, I never, like it never occurred to me that that would be the case. And I thought they would just tell the story of, because instead of just telling the story, they continue to flash back to the story unfolding. Mm -hmm. So as I was talking about, they... There's never an arc. There's this constant interruption. So you become invested in the story of the bullying and the son's trauma, and we cut back to him on the road. Or you become invested in him being on the road and speaking, and they cut back to the flashback of him being bullied. (laughs) 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. And the thing that's odd about this structure that we've been talking about with Joe Bell is that the scenes that we are flashing back to are scenes that are entirely from the son's point of view, who we've just learned is dead. So we're suddenly in his point of view, knowing that we're all we're working towards is a suicide, right? Which is like sort of kind of spoils the whole thing, but also gets back to that sort of cheating feeling that you were describing where we're not on a continuous emotional arc. We're and, not on anyone's yeah. emotional arc. Uh, and I, I I do this all the time, and you sometimes get on my case for it, the speculation about what went into the making of the movie, because I'm fascinated with that stuff. But to me, and Larry McMurtry passed away recently, a titan of a writer, just like a legend. Uh, I think Diana Osana is still alive, but I would love to know I, if this choice to do this flashback was in their original script. I honestly consider the fact that somebody may have taken their script and yes. edited it like this. That's absolutely. Because yeah. I just have too much respect for those writers yeah. to believe that they would ever try and tell me a story in this way. It was yeah. just it was it was so disconcerting and it was so emotionally limiting. Yeah. You know, and it gets worse. Yeah. I mean as bad as as off-putting as that is, the way the story unfolds the rest of the way, the true story, mm-hmm. um, it gets even worse. I was afraid that we were going to be – there's that story that they tell about um, uh, the making of Up Close and Personal, which was originally supposed to be the story of Jessica Savage. And right. They pitched them the story. She was a newscaster who was – She was the first female to have a national anchor desk, I right? Something so. like that? Yeah. I think something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was and, a big story, yeah. Yeah, and she was killed, tragically, mm-hmm. on the eve of the invasion of Grenada. I always thought mm-hmm. that there was some, you know, suspicious yeah. thing, but maybe not. There was a car wreck and she was killed. And uh, <laughs> they pitched the, the story and 
the executive listening to, which I'm not sure if we know who the executive was. It was but Jeffrey Katzenberg. That's always been my thought. Yeah, that Jeffrey that, Katzenberg. But I don't right. know if it was Jeffrey Katzenberg, but the way I always hear the story, it was Jeffrey yeah. Katzenberg. He says, well, I really love it, but does she have to die at the end? And it's like, <laughs> well, she's dead, so yeah. And it's a true story. Right. And so, and so they didn't make that movie. They made Up Close and Personal instead. And right. It's very uplifting, but it's not. it never happened. Yeah. They made the real movie here, and it had an ending, ending, ending. So let's get Jaden Bell, as we said, is a real person, and he chose to end his own life as a result of bullying. I did a bit of research to see if there were deviations between the story and fact, or what was acknowledged fact, and my discovery was not much. Maybe one small detail was omitted from the movie, and I think it's actually relevant to a discussion of Jaden's story, which is that... um, he was kicked off the cheerleading team. He was a male cheerleader, which was very, quote-unquote, controversial if you were an idiot. Um, and, and there are a lot of those out there. there are a lot of so those, apparently, in his community. Certainly experienced a number of them in my own life. I haven't been to a high school reunion since my 10. <laughs> Don't make that I, mistake again. I thought, oh, my God, are you still going to give me a hard time about being a gay person 10 years later? Oh, yeah. You fucking bigoted asshole. Right. What am I doing here? There's a reason I haven't seen these people for 10 years, and it's not a mistake that I'm going to make a second time. So... He's caught smoking a cigarette. He's kicked off the cheerleading squad. His parents believe it's a cover for the fact that they want him off because he's gay and he's being harassed. People are throwing stuff at him. That was factual at the games, literally throwing stuff from the stands at him. God. Um, He gets a hold of some painkillers that his parents had as a prescription. Oh. And it seems like the decision to end his life was not made sober. Oh. Which I think it's like it doesn't diminish the bullying, if anything, but I just think that's a relevant part of the story. You know, a young person getting their hands on some really powerful pharmaceuticals. I mean, getting drunk and doing something to harm themselves. I think those things are very possible and very true to the story. I I don't know why they would leave that out, although. I don't know why they left out him getting kicked off the cheerleading squad, which I don't think is in the movie, right? I don't think that's in the movie. I think that. No. There was that horrible sequence. That that they filmed of that I don't know if it happened took place in the locker room mm-hmm. with um, the other boys, which seemed almost like it was like if it wasn't rape, it was adjacent. It was very close. It was a very disturbing. Uh, scene. It was a very disturbing scene, and he was very upset. And then the principal acted like. Um, she was the lead inspector for the New South Wales Police Department. I was going to say, God, yeah. it even looked like her. Yeah. I was like, I if you if you listen to last week's show, yeah, this is the woman who I proposed pulling all of her hair out one strand at a time because she was such a horrible, bigoted jerk mm-hmm. um, to the family of a gay man who'd been killed in a gay bashing incident. Anyway, recommend that episode to you. It's right, really, um, it's a fascinating study of uh, violence against gay people and the investigation and the progress, limited, that is being made in Australia and one hopes here as well. Um, But yeah, the principal behaved very much as that. um, She basically said to him that if you file a complaint against these boys that assaulted you, it'll get worse for you. Uh, The thing that I did find was that that scene, while it may have been taken not taken word from word from reality, these schools in the area apparently had an anti-bullying initiative with no enforcement mechanism. And like you just said, 
as we saw in the Australian murders that we were discussing in the previous episode, the decision not to pursue right. is what determined the course of everything that came after. And that it's very hard not to believe that that decision is, we believe the perpetrators have greater value than you. Right. Greater value to the community. Therefore, their negative reaction to being taken to account will be more destructive for everyone, and the rest of us should just shut the fuck up about it. We don't want to ruin yeah. their lives. We don't want to ruin their lives because they're clearly all going to go on to become professional athletes because we all know every high school football athlete becomes a pillar of the community and goes on to play in the NFL. Right. So we should, we Aaron, should totally. Aaron Hernandez yeah. went to high school Absolutely. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I don't like to use the word triggering, but this movie was triggering. Oh, this movie was tell triggering. Me about that. Well, I mean, it was just this. I wanted to believe that things had gotten dramatically better for uh, LGBT youth since I left high school. But I was reminded of the thing Dan Savage said when he was a guest on the Dinner Party Show, our other podcast, right. where he said that things actually seem to get measurably worse. Because now, because of a general improving climate for gay people nationwide, and for those of us who had gone off to make lives and careers for ourselves and to be uh, visible and out, everybody now knew who the gay kids were back home. They were more. They had more big, bigger and redder X's on their back. We know you're like those people on TV. There was a disconnect between the improvements where we lived in the big cities and back home in these sort of more rural places that were still very much in the grip of of uh, conformist values and right. churches. And- when, I was a, when I was a young man, the screaming queen who played the father on um, the Brady Bunch was actually considered a role model for yeah. masculinity. <laughs> right. Heterosexual fatherhood. Right. It was a greater sort of uh, secrecy overall that some people could use to survive. I'm not saying that was preferable by any means. But this to me said... It was worse. Now, again, we're going off of fictionalized depictions of bullying in a, in a Hollywood film. Right. But um, I don't think Jaden ended up, he hung himself from a playground, which was just horrifying. Um, I don't think he ended up there by accident or on his own. And I think that's what the movie makes clear, at least makes clear. And, um, I, you know, I was reminded of the guidance counselor in high school who told other kids not to play with me because I was probably gay. That's a guidance counselor. That's somebody who was on staff at our school. You know, it just really brought me back to that this idea of, particularly in the depiction of that principle, that you should, it's fine, but you need to stay quiet about it. It's fine, but you need to stay quiet about it. How many versions of that did we hear over the course of our it's lives? Literally told those, yeah. and that was actually what the first authority person that I came out to said to me. Yeah. <laughs> You should really not tell anybody. You should like, really not tell anybody. And it was, I think, a reasonable piece of advice. Yeah. Like in 1977 in Columbia, South Carolina, I really, like I didn't do, I've always said there was never any in the closet for me. I didn't do anything. I didn't pretend to have a girlfriend or mm-hmm. I didn't do anything to um, indicate that I wasn't. Who I was, right? But I didn't do anything to indicate that I was who I was yeah. either. Yeah, like I didn't ask a boy to the prom. No. I didn't. None of that happened either. I just didn't have the experience mm-hmm. that everybody else was having. I just no. yeah. did other things. Um, and I think that 
this is where I, and I know we have more of the movie to talk about, but where I ultimately ended up with the movie because I was having all of these experiences triggered while simultaneously feeling like I wasn't being addressed as an audience member, I realized this movie isn't for me. This movie was not actually made for me. This no. movie was made for the Mark Wahlbergs of the world. That's correct. And so I that's yeah. whose story it was. And that was really the thing that we were tuned in to watch. And I want to pause here sure. to say everybody in this movie mm-hmm. did a really good job. They did a really good job. Every every cast member, yeah. the little the young man who played Reed Miller, who plays uh, Jaden, was amazing. Mark Wahlberg was his usual amazing self. He did a, a good job of playing the character. The characters were well-realized, mm-hmm. well-rounded, and well-played. There was I did not have the sense of, I didn't separate me from yeah. the reality of the situation. And it really was challenging because the character that Mark Wahlberg was playing was dealing with his own sense that he had not been accepting enough right. of his own son. The bullying upset him, mm-hmm. but I think the thing that ultimately that character was dealing with was his own sense of not having shown up for yeah. this kid who he loved. He did love the kid. Yeah. He did. He said so every time he had the opportunity, mm-hmm. but it was that parental kind of love where it's like, yeah. you know, I'm doing this for your own good, mm-hmm. even though it's really maybe Well, and there's a, there's a scene pretty early on in the movie where... Uh, he's practic- the son is practicing his cheerleading moves in the front yard, and Mark Wahlberg very angrily makes him move to the backyard because he's embarrassed. Mark Wahlberg's character is caught up in what everybody else is going right. to think, you know. But yeah, I, I just when they're throwing things at his kid being a cheerleader at the football game, he leaves. He leaves the game as opposed like, I to I would have gone and stood in between my child and the yeah. people throwing the stuff so that they would have had to have thrown it at me yeah, first. Totally. I just, but you know, this was the stuff this man was dealing with, and that's really hard to watch. Yeah. Um, that said, having given the movie all that slack, I don't think that storyline was completely realized. No. Like I said at the beginning, I didn't see this guy open up. What we get is that as he continues his walk, he meets a character, and I don't know if this character was real or not. It's played by Gary Sinise. He's a local sheriff in a town along the way. In Colorado. Who just happens to have a gay son that he is not being understanding enough And he of. originally hassles Mark because he thinks he's like homeless guy coming yeah. into town, pushing his, whatchamacallit. And Mark tells him his story, and they connect. He mm-hmm. bonds with him. and. Shares that he too has a, that he had a gay that he has a gay son and yeah. that he worries that he hasn't done enough to be supportive of him. And um, so that's and then we see Mark Wahlberg walk into this big high school gym with this huge crowd and he's nervous and he's going to speak and I think okay this is the moment he's going to let his guard right. down. This is the elocute. And this is where he says it. Cut away to another scene. Once I was again, like, we are denied the emotional. I, and I, think, and I the, think you called it. I think you called it. I think this is considered sophisticated filmmaking now. Playing with structure above all else. It's a very, I think it's cynical. It says all stories have been told. Everybody's bored. The only way to make things interesting is to jumble them and play them out of order. It gives no credence to the emotional engagement of the audience. It, it's about making other things more important like visual direction and singular performances. It doesn't have anything to do 
with telling the kind of story in the way that you described. And people have stopped watching. I know. I don't think this movie did well at all. <laughs> you have I to tell a story. You, have you to, want people yeah. to be interested, you have to tell a story. They didn't start Brokeback Mountain with the last scene. No. No. I just, and it's like, I, this is so trendy now. It's just, I can just see somebody enforcing that on the script. I can just, like, you and I thought the same thing. It could really, because yeah. I really cannot believe that the same people who wrote um, Brokeback Mountain would write a script intending for it to unfold in this L- way. Larry just... McMurtry's, I think, brilliance as a writer, and I haven't read a ton of him. I've mostly seen movies based on his work, but Larry McMurtry's whole thing was, I'm going to go into these rural environments and I'm going to tell you absolutely who these people are. I'm going to show you their lives. And he didn't play with structure. He didn't He didn't play with time. He didn't, you know, like he just, like the last picture show is about, right. this is who I grew There's up no with. There's no fucking framing There's device. There's no framing Dear devices. God, please. Stop. Please fire all of the executives who <laughs> think there should be a framing device. They are not helping and they are wrong. They're wrong. It's just their anxiety about the underlying material and it needs to be addressed through actually it's solid It's their anxiety about audiences and ratings. They don't yep. give a shit about the story or the storytelling at all. Well, this That's is, what that is about. And, it is, if you don't understand what the framing device is, what we're, ta- what we're talking about, if you've ever seen a thing where there's a big action scene and at the conclusion of it they say, six weeks early. Oh, my God. That means they've already told you what's going to happen in six weeks before it happens. So everything that you see after that is a complete waste of your time. And if that's not the definition of boring... I don't know what is. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. There's only one way this can sort of work is when the big action scene is so elliptical, you don't actually know what the results are going to be. Yes. And what leads up to it plays with that. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. (laughs) 
why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? This movie suffers from that structure, I think doubly so because of the ending to the actual story, which is that, are we going to tell? This is it. Yeah. Major spoiler alert. Joe, Joe Bell is hit and killed by a car on this walk. In Colorado. That, he was walking from Portland yeah. to New York and he made it as far as Colorado. And then as the story has it in this particular case, and we're not sure about the Gary Sinise sheriff's character or after the speech that we didn't get to hear him make where mm-hmm. he finally understands his own path, he's then off camera killed. We actually see Gary Sinise's character's reaction right. to his death, somebody who doesn't know him and isn't connected to him and with whom we have absolutely no emotional connection mm-hmm. is the person who witnesses this the death of this character. So we have no reaction. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to have any reaction to killing this character. It just, I was like, I cannot believe that this is the way you want to tell this story. Mm-hmm. Like who told you that this was, oh, it was just, yeah. it was, it was a shame yeah. because ultimately the story is one that I'm glad we're acknowledging. Mm-hmm. This is a father coming to terms with his own feelings about having a gay son. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems really important to me. That's something that a lot of people are probably trying to deal with as we try and be more embracing of people coming out and being who they are earlier and earlier in life as opposed to lying to their parents for as long as right, possible. Right. Like, the old model. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are more fathers, and I hope there will be more movies that are more supportive of the arc of what that would mean than this one ultimately was. And there was every reason for this to do a good job of that. I mm-hmm. I don't doubt the scriptwriters. I don't doubt the actors. I don't doubt anybody involved except whoever decided that the story should be told in that way. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that Jake Gyllenhaal was even one of the executive no, producers? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. No, absolutely yeah. not. I, I, like everyone connected to this film had every reason for it to be done right. And... They did it the wrong way. I mm-hmm. just it's just the wrong movie. It, yeah. it was a shame because it's a it was a really it was a difficult story, but I think it was a really important one and I hope it's one that will be addressed better. Yeah. Um before too much longer, but yeah, I just I was so disappointed. I was prepared for it was going to be like emotional school. You know, like oh god, I am going to have to go back right. to high school. And I did in part. But I, I just thought it. My reaction to it started turning into they didn't do this right. This is yeah. not how I would have done. You know, it was the, we. I had resisted watching this movie as long as because it, it came out. 
I think it was out this time last year when we were I making this like a pandemic movie. When we were yeah. making this decision last year, yeah. I think we decided to go with Ideal Home rather than this. I said it was something I wanted to watch, and I hadn't watched it because I just couldn't. I mm-hmm. just thought it was going to be too emotionally demanding. Yeah. Um, and so I had put it off and I said, I actually insisted. I was like, no, we don't have another one. There was no other ideal home that I could find, which is another thing the movie industry needs to get around and do. We should like there to be actual movies about gay people out there doing actual stuff. Um, but, um, the, the story would just seem like it was going to be too hard. And, and then when I saw it, it was, yeah, it was like, no, this is about movie making. This isn't mm-hmm. about the, this man's journey at all. This is my entire response is to the failure of this as as movie mm-hmm. making because I I can't say like I'm not saying don't watch it, but I'm saying watch it with very limited expectations because other than good performances by good actors, um, there's not a lot else here. Yeah, I wish I had more to say about it. <laughs> Yeah, because the show's not over. I know, but it's one of those things. Well, I also, when I watched the trailer for the first time a year ago, I thought, okay, are we getting ready for our versions of The Help? Like, are we going to move into straight savior stories? This is all about how it affected me, that you were gay. And I was a little concerned about that. It seems like there were actually two that came out. At that time, and I cannot remember. Oh, what I can't the other remember one was. the other one. Well, I'll tell you this, and I'll I'll have to be elliptical because I know more than I should about any of this. There were two years ago. There were two competing Harvey Milk projects in development in Hollywood, and the Dustin Lance Black one that got made with Sean Penn was in competition against another prominent filmmaker who wanted to make one that was going to be the Joe Bell version. It was going to be what did the straight teamsters in San Francisco think about working with gay Harvey Milk? And I'm really glad that that one didn't get made because that would have been about that idea of centering a viewpoint in a story is a, is powerful. It's used as a, as a sort of shorthand. It becomes a word that loses its meaning. But it's like this movie was centered on the father, right, for the most part. It was centered on his it journey. Was, it was the call yeah. Joe Bell. It was Joe his Bell. story. Even though it is about these other issues, it gives you, them to you through that point of view, through that with all warts and all. And that other Harvey Milk movie was going to be about um, what do straight people think of this prominent gay activist? And the Dustin Lance Black one was through the eyes of Harvey Milk and his boyfriends, really, right. which I was way more glad went out into the world. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a problem, and I think we should brace for some movies like that. About like we should brace for the movie that's about how white women helped us through the straight white women you know helped what? us through the AIDS epidemic. You I know what would I mean? Be thankful for any movies. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like I won't be I won't be thrilled about those, but yeah. I'm continuing to feel completely ignored and unrepresented every time I take a look. Like I think there's efforts being made, but yeah, I don't think representation is really happening. Yeah. Um for a group that I feel like is me. Yeah. Um and I, I hope that there will be I hope we don't have to go down um help lane. The help lane, but I you know, we did um, what was it? Uh, Will and Grace for twenty years, which was all about Grace's dating life. Well, it's the thing that you went after Da Vinci's demons. We went after Da Vinci's demons, oh. rightfully so. The distortion of history is different from. Well, I just don't like where this story is centered. Like I had a friend 
look me in the eye and say, Nancy Reagan couldn't have been anti-gay because she invented the AIDS ribbon. Nancy Reagan didn't invent the AIDS ribbon. Like, who put that idea in this young woman's head? Like, and that's what happens. I'm sorry. As much as I supported her, Hillary Clinton getting on that camera and talking about all Nancy Reagan did for AIDS during the Reagan administration's complete ignorance. Unbelievable. This is how bad history gets told. And that often becomes a movie. (laughs) So I think we should brace for some versions of that that are going to need to be rightfully called out. Like, I learned a lot by watching what black women in the media had to say about the help, how they really felt about that I movie. Just... And it's and from your your reading of it as somebody who grew up during that I was period. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. This was yeah, I was actually there and no, it was not anything. This is not an accurate telling yeah. of this particular story. Yeah, it is it can be daunting. And so yeah. I hope that like, while I will be thankful that there's any mention, mm-hmm. um, I hope that we will at some point move to a place where it isn't what straight people think gay people are like. Yes. That would really, really be a nice development. I've, I'm not running across that nearly enough. Okay, well, we had, and we talked about this privately, recently there were three trailers that dropped, okay? So one was for a movie called Fire Island, which is coming to Hulu, or which should be on Hulu now, <laughs> available right, right now. Um, I think it looks very promising. Asian filmmaker, two Asian stars, but it's about a group of gay men going to this vacation resort, and it is modeled or inspired by Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Okay, the other one is going to be... Which is really an interesting thing, because we had that reaction to Dancer from the Dance, was how similar that culture, that was culturally to... Pride and Prejudice. Dance from the Dance is a book by Andrew Holleran, mm-hmm. which I completely recommend. It's about, a classic, yeah. And and it very much in the way that Pride and Prejudice is about how really resourceful, smart, accomplished people relegated to a very limited world by the prejudices and views of others. Mm-hmm still have the same talents to apply to very trivial things right. as they pursue their lives. Yes, absolutely. And the, what's the other movie? Um, Bros, which is going to be a romantic comedy with Billy Eichner and Luke McFarlane. Which looks to be very funny. And uh, The New Queerest Folk on Peacock here in the United States uh, is going to be set in New Orleans, if you can believe it, and the storyline is going to be about the aftermath of a Pulse-style nightclub shooting in a gay bar. But it's going to be essentially a reboot of that story. The interesting thing is that Showtime lost the rights to it, and the rights reverted to Russell Davies, I think is his yes. name, who did the original in Britain, and he made the deal with the new people. I think that's his name. Yeah. I think Russell T. Davies. I loved that one. So I Okay, so we're really getting these that one. three things, and I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about them when we finally get to see them, but I think, okay, maybe... You know, fingers crossed that it's all about what does well. That's the thing. It's like if it does well, there will be more of it. But if it doesn't do well, it'll be a fight to get I'm more I'm sorry. Made. I just – that is not true. You think? <laughs> um, the year that uh, Brokeback Mountain did not win the Academy Award for Best Picture, mm-hmm. uh, that piece of shit – Terrible movie. Um, <laughs> Crash. Crash is what it was yeah, called. Yeah. That was – that's what won. Yeah. That was a terrible movie that nobody saw and that nobody has seen since or heard of. <laughs> 
Brokeback Mountain was the only movie nominated for Best Picture that year that made over $100 million that year. Mm. And it has not been replicated again yet. Yeah. So, no. This is like when executives go, oh, women go to see the movies? Mm -hmm. Wow, we should make more movies with women. And then they wait 20 years before they do it again. I wish that was true. Yeah. But I don't find it to be true. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, here's hoping it is true. Because there's three now, three. If they all do well, there's no longer going to be any fucking excuse. Because it's like... Which doesn't mean there won't be. I know, and that's the problem. And I think the problem is always about the makeup of who's in charge. Like, if you want to talk about racial diversity in Hollywood, you need to look at how many non-white studio heads we have. None. I don't think we have a single non-white studio head in this town. Because the decisions about what to make and what to green light get made by those people. And if they're all of the same demographic, you're going to keep getting the same stuff. So. When I when when I sold the rights to make Say Uncle into the movie that was never made. Mm-hmm. Um it was I was really it was in the mid 90s and mm-hmm. I was really impressed that this movie company, in fact several movie companies, there was a bidding war. Yeah. Um several movie companies wanted to make that movie and I was also hired to write the script, and I mm-hmm. spent weeks meeting with them about how we could make sure that we told this story in such a way that none of the gay characters were in relationship with any other gay characters around this child because oh, it would be so terrible if yeah. children were exposed to, you know, people who were gay. Mm-hmm. I was in the meeting. They yeah. knew I was a gay person. And I honestly, the people that I was meeting with weren't terrible people. No. They, I would think they would probably be, the ones that were involved would probably be horrified today or are horrified today by that memory. Some of them have passed on. And mm-hmm. um, I think they'd be horrified by that memory. Yeah. Um, not because they'd had some big come to Jesus moment because I didn't think they were intending to be homophobic then, but it was a blind spot. They but simply it, didn't yeah. have that sort of that ability to see from somebody else's perspective because you can't really. But and it's, it gets back to that thing Lady Gaga said, I think, in the run up to the Windsor decision at the Supreme Court. When are we going to stop worrying about the bigots being uncomfortable? Right. You, you know, like you can either buy into these. The, the thing that occurred to me recently is a phobia, right? A phobia is about an inappropriately self-centered viewpoint of an external issue. Like, if I have a snake phobia, it means I irrationally believe they're going to attack me, that snakes have targeted me. I read this essay, I know I've talked about it before, about a woman who was afraid of bears, and she went on a trip into the woods that was designed to get people over their fear of bears. And the primary accomplishment of this trip was that by going to areas where there were bears in the distance, you could see that bears did not give a fuck about you. Bears were doing bear things out in the woods. And the re- the moment to be afraid of a bear is when you when it's cornered it. Or, well, you cornered it. Or you got in between it and its cubs. Like, bears are not thinking, let's go eat human beings all the time. All of, homophobia is the same thing. Homophobia is the false belief that you're going to be sexually abused by a gay person in a private space, you know, or your kids are going to be 
uh, you know, molested by gay men in Chelsea, New York, who are going shopping and buying shit and, and trying to have a marriage. You or know, like, other people will think something else about you if you well, are too and accepting and inclusive of gay that, people. And that's in the most chilling scene for me and Joe Bell, which I think was one of its more subtle moments, is when Joe Bell, or Jaden Bell, excuse me, is suicidal and he's calling his best friend for help, and the best friend's mom puts her on speakerphone. And it's clear she will not go pick him up. And the implication is that she doesn't want her daughter associating with him publicly. It's very, they don't say it specifically, but she's saying, like, we're already on our way out of town, Jaden. And you the daughter's like, come by the house. You can stay in our yeah. house, but we don't want to be seen. We don't want to be seen, seen with you. you. And I think it gets back to those discussions that you were subjected to in those development meetings where it's at what point do the people in power say, saying over and over again, we can't offend people who hold these shitty beliefs. At what point do they become culpable in the propagation of those shitty beliefs? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it is challenging. You know, yeah. it's, it is. And the, I think that the, the cure is to hear the voices of the people who you're actually talking about. Yes, like, exactly. I think that there is, you know, I think that there is, I find that... Um, a lot of those decisions get made because I don't want to appear to look like that. So yeah. nobody who would be who could be affiliated with me mm -hmm. can be affiliated with that. Right. Exactly. Like the people need to be different enough from me mm -hmm. that I that that it's no longer connecting me to being, you know, possibly gay. Yeah. Totally. Because you know it's fine. It's perfectly fine, but. It's also terrible. Yeah. You know, like, like no, there's actually nothing wrong with being gay, and we have got to start acting as though that's true, and we really believe it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's. I think it's part of Shonda's magic. You know, yeah. like, they're just sex scenes. They're mm -hmm. not gay sex scenes. Yes. They are just, they will not be treated any differently than any other than any other characters in the shows. And yeah. I think it makes that Greg Berlanti has done it. Shonda Rhimes has done it. Ryan People, Murphy has Ryan done it. Ryan Murphy yeah. has done it. Where we're just going to treat these as actual. Mm -hmm. The um, Stephen DeKnight, is that who uh -huh. did um, yes, yes. the Stephen Spartacus De series where mm -hmm. the characters were having full-on gay, they were prime principal characters. They had full-on relationships just like the straight characters around them. They were fighting and kissing and making mm -hmm. love and arguing at dinner and all of the things that all of the other characters are doing, that's the normalization. It's the the ho-humming mm -hmm. of being gay. I I don't want us to depict ourselves as being separate, mm -hmm. you know, where, we're do, where it is gay people being the filmmakers and the storytellers themselves. Let us not depict ourselves as being so precious and different and yes. separate from everybody else. That we can't be seen in the same light and, you know, judged by the same standards and looked at in the same way as everybody else. And let us encourage other people to see us as being mm -hmm. exactly the same because it really is amazingly the same. Yeah, it is. It and, is. And, you know, one of the things that I always say I love about West Hollywood is that I moved here so being gay – because being gay is not special here. Yeah, exactly. There is nothing special about it. No. It's the grocery store. It's the dry cleaners. It's city council. It's yeah. everywhere. It's just not that special. 
Am exactly. I keeping you I'm up? Sorry. <laughs> Christopher's drifting yawn. away. I did a bit of a yawn. It's our post-lunch episode, and I'm digesting. But it was also a really heavy discussion. But I'm just, I'm so glad that you and Jordan Ampersand are going to be getting along this I time. I just I'm wish just you'd really stop happy. bringing him up. I think you guys are going to do great. I so, together. happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Sugar Daddy's Day. I heard um, that was the topic earlier, right? Okay, we will we'll really stop talking. Are going to bring that back we'll up talking. again? Um, we're back to True Crime TV Club next week. It is the most shocking True Crime TV Club I, we have ever done. I bet it is. I yes, it is. just lost my mind over this and win. And you will have to find out why next week, but if you want to read ahead, uh, the and special. You should. The special that we will be discussing is that, well, it's not a special. It's an episode of a series called World's Most Evil Killers. It's available here in the United States on Discovery+. Plus. The episode is Season 5, Episode 7, entitled Patrick Kearney. And that's all we're going to say about it for now, except, oh, my fucking God. And, yeah, you should watch this one. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll soon realize why we're saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It was the most shocking thing we've ever, like, I... Christopher and I lost We it. broke our rule, is what we did. We don't ever talk about the specials before we get in here to the studio. And I couldn't. This time we had to. I had to. I watched it. I saw it first. And Christopher and I were getting our booster. second, second, our second booster. booster shots. Yes. We are fully boosted. Fully, and, fully, uh, fully boosted. Yes. We. I said, okay, when you watch, you have to call me because we've got to talk about this one. It is really... I. I, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see, and you'll see next week on the next episode of this podcast. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher Rice, Jordan Ampersand, and... and I really... <laughs> I'm sorry, Christopher Rice. And Eric Shaw Quinn. And Jordan Ampersand. <laughs> Christopher is just down. Uh... Thanks for listening, and uh, it may just be me next week. This is TDPS.